Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, I've been saying this for years, hopefully Strider and Elder get recognized and no love for Pitts. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Check us out on the SiriusXM app as well and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So I came across a stat yesterday that was disturbing and frustrating and all those different kinds of things related to the Atlanta Falcons. The last three years, 2022, 2021, and the pandemic year of 2020, the Falcons have combined to accumulate 68 sacks. 68 sacks over that three-year period of time. The Philadelphia Eagles, in one season last year, accumulated 70 sacks. We've had a three-year run where we've accumulated 68 they accumulated 70 sacks. Where'd the Eagles end up last year? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were in the Super Bowl, right? Josh Kendall of The Athletic, Falcons reporter, was on with our afternoon show with Dukes and Bell yesterday. And he had a specific quote about the idea of sacks and their importance and this, then, the other. And he said, basically, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty close to the exact words. When you look at the advanced metrics, you start to realize how important sacks are in today's game. Let me repeat that. When you look at the advanced metrics, you realize how important that sacks are. And obviously, this is a team that has to accumulate it. Now, when I heard the clip, and I played the clip on my radio show last night, it just frustrated me. It, it, it really did. And not because Josh isn't right. He's 100% right. And I've been preaching this for years now. You know, it's not hard to understand why the Falcons haven't been good, haven't won, haven't been to the playoffs since 2017 in a sport where everybody goes from zero to hero in an instant. You go from the Jacksonville Jaguars with Urban Meyer and all of that debacle and all of that drama, and then they go the next year and they win their division. It's all set up for the league to do that. But you have to do certain fundamental things. And when you can't sack the quarterback, you know, we sit around and wonder, well, well why aren't we winning? Why, why don't we win more? Because you don't influence the game where it's most important. You can spin all these narratives. And I'm, I'm getting frustrated just sitting here talking about it. Because when you look at, again, I've given you every stat imaginable. I've given you every number imaginable to show you what sacks mean in the NFL. The last 14 Super Bowl participants have averaged 43 and a half sacks. Super Bowl participants. 
That means both teams that are in the Super Bowl. 43 and a half sacks over the last 14 teams. Since 2016, 70% of the playoff teams have had 38 or more sacks. And on and on and on and on and on. Number after number after number, all the trends and all of the analytics and all of this stuff. Because that's the thing you have to do in the NFL. It's not a hard concept. You have to put pressure on the quarterback, put him on the ground. Because quarterbacks are going to throw it 600 times. We may not throw it 600 times, but most quarterbacks around the league are going to throw it 600 times. You know, it, it's it's a passing league. You're seeing all the pass records fall. Everybody's throwing for 5,000 yards, 4,000 yards. Matt Hasselbeck has been a 4,000-yard quarterback. Guys are setting records every year. Receivers are getting paid big-time money. Why? Because they put up huge numbers. <clears throat> Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill. And as the importance and value of running backs is diminished, pass protection, passing offense, passing wide receiver, all of that's gone up. And yet we wonder why that we can't figure out a way to win. We wonder why that, you know, well, I don't understand. Because you can't do the thing that influences it. it. You think it's pure coincidence? I mean, seriously, let, let, look into your heart. You think it's pure coincidence that when the Dallas Cowboys added Micah Parsons, they were what, 6-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 their first year. The last two years, they've been 12 and five. You think that's all coincidence? You think Micah Parsons hasn't had a huge influence on them? Dak Prescott's been there the whole time, has he not? Has he been there for, is he, was he a rookie this year? How about Zeke Elliott? How about their offensive line? We know that those guys could play really well. We know, you know, Prescott's a good quarterback. Zeke's one of the better running backs in the NFL. Their offensive line's been really good. <clears throat> They've had wide receivers, not the yin-yang, the Amari Coopers and everybody. I mean, we know all that. And what's the guy that they plopped in the middle of everything defensively? Oh, Micah Parsons? Oh, you mean he influences the game like crazy? Oh. But that, but I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to tell yourself <clears throat> that it's pure coincidence that dropping a Micah Parsons caliber player on your roster hasn't had any influence because the Cowboys are 12 and 5 the last two years. Can we be 12 and 5 on a regular basis? Can we be 12 and 5? Can we be 24 and 10 over a two-year period? Because we'd have to go back to the Super Bowl and, and the year after to have that kind of success. Can we be that way? Can we pop a 12 and 5 somewhere in our lifetime? Yeah, that's what the Cowboys have been the last two years. And that's why, you know why? Because you got guys that influence the game where it matters most. And it's so frustrating to think about. And Josh is 100% right. He's 100% right. And I've been preaching this for years. You think my number one concern right now is, <clears throat> well, gee, I don't know if we have enough wide receivers on the team. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, I don't know if we have enough pass catchers. Are you freaking kidding me? I'm concerned about, do we have that fire breather coming off the edge? Because right now it's a lot of hope and prayers and wishful thinking and, you know, lollipops and gumdrops. Well, gee, I, I hope Emma Katie can be a guy. Well, hope 
Calais Campbell still has something in the tank. Well, I hope Caden Ellis is not just a one-hit wonder. Well, well, I hope and I hope and I hope and I hope. And I don't have concrete answers. This is not hard to understand why we have not been successful as an organization. It has nothing to do with salary cap and all that kind of those are all byproducts. You draft, you draft great players that influence the game where it matters most. You won't have a problem winning, whether you're on, whether you're on rookie contracts, high price contract, whatever. You won't have a single solitary issue if you influence the game where it matters most about winning and having all of these other kind of things happen. You think having a Micah Parsons on this roster wouldn't influence the game more than what we've had? Of course it would. But but there'll be there'll be plenty of people that are be oh sex don't matter and all this kind of stuff. Then you hear a guy that's you know on the report and looking at all the analytics and real and and all of a sudden like he's coming to the conclusion like wow you know sacks really are important yeah it's that light bulb epiphany that comes up right I mean you know get the light bulb out it's the epiphany that comes along with it except I've known it for years talked about it for years broken down all the numbers for years years and years and years and years. And it's the thing that I concern myself with most because, again, when you look at this football team, it ain't you can miss me with, well, we don't have enough wide receivers and all that stuff. I'm watching about whether or not I've got a fire breather coming off the edge. I'm worried about whether or not if we start to throw the football more, is Caleb McGarry going to get exposed? That's the things I'm watching for. I'm not watching for how many passes B. John Robinson is going to catch out of the backfield. He ain't going to have a big influence if, if our quarterback's, you know, looking at his ear hole on every play because we can't pass protect. And it's not going to matter very much about how good Jeff Okuda and A.J. Terrell and all that kind of stuff are if we end up with another 19-sack season. And that's where it's influencing the game the most. That's why we've got to do that. So Josh is 100% right when he talks about this. Except that, he, you know, again, he's maybe a day late and a dollar short on all of it. But when you do look at the advanced metrics and all the different things you can look at, sacks are a critical part of what you do in today's NFL game. All right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Listen, as we're headed to the halfway point, we're just about there at the halfway point of the Major League Baseball season. FanDuel's got you covered where if you're a new customer to FanDuel, you can go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and claim your no-sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. So FanDuel is super safe, easy to use, secure. You can also bet on everything from point spreads to money lines to prop bets. How many home runs is Aaron Judge going to hit? Whatever. FanDuel's got you covered all the way around. And as a new customer to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you can go in and claim your no-sweat first bet where if your first bet doesn't win, you get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets. That's $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel.com slash locked on is the place to sign up. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Sign up today. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. So 
as we head toward the halfway point, and we're just about there, the Major League Baseball season within a day or two of the halfway point for the you know season, a couple of the guys that definitely deserve to have some recognition when it comes to the All-Star game are, you know, for all of the things that this lineup has done, okay, one of the big keys has been the fact that Elder and Strider have really helped hold this staff and rotation together through all of the injuries. They're combined 15 and three on the season. Now, Elder, look, six and one, two, four, four ERA. He leads majorly. <coughs> excuse me. He leads the National League in ERA. 96 innings pitched. Um, he's got 79 strikeouts. He's been basically a stalwart for this rotation over the last two years. I mean, he's pitched in so many big-time games that he's been a big-money-time pitcher. But 96 innings, 6-1, and one, 244 ERA, leading the National League in ERA, 79 strikeouts to only 28 walks. And he's not giving up a lot of homers. I mean, eight homers in almost 100 innings pitch is a pretty good number. Strider, we know how good Strider is. Nine and two. So he's on pace. You know, again, he'll be a double-digit win pitcher come the All-Star break, Tom. But he's on pace right now to have 18 wins. You finish 18 and four, you're doing some work. The 91 and two-thirds innings, 146 strikeouts. So again, we talk about records that could potentially fall. And we said this way, way back when that Strider could set the franchise record for strikeouts this year for the Braves. Well, he's on that definite kind of pace, assuming that he pitches that kind of innings. 146 strikeouts in 91 and two-thirds. Again, I think he's got the best stuff in Major League Baseball. I don't care if he's got two pitches, seven pitches, one pitch. What he's doing is he's only given up 70 hits in 91 and two-thirds innings with 146 strikeouts. And after he had that bump in the road where his first three starts in June weren't all of that good, yeah, last two starts, 2-0, two and 1.38 ERA. Remember the first three starts of June, 15 innings, 15 earned runs that he gave up? Yeah, well, in his last two starts, it's been 13 innings and two earned runs. And by the way, 19 strikeouts in 13 innings with only two walks. Is that dealing? Is that getting back on track and, and dealing out there? So I hope when it comes to be all-star time that the Braves find themselves with a couple of their pitchers in this in this all-star rotation. I think that they deserve it. And you look at how good Elder's been. He's been clutch. He's been a money pitcher for this organization. Strider, obviously, has just been the most dominant pitcher in Major League Baseball. I mean, he just is a guy that just goes out there and rears back and fires and and gets all kinds of outs without contact. One of the more exciting pitchers in Major League Baseball. He feels like a guy that every time he steps on the mound, something historic could happen. So let's hope that, we, you know, with the, you know, Olsen and Acuna and Murphy and all of the guys that we know we're going to have on offense because we're having a year where we're just raking it, right? I mean, Olsen's putting up big numbers, you know, maybe even Riley to some degree. Ozzy certainly should be an all-star, right? We talk about, you know, Orlando Arcia is doing great things at shortstop. With all these offensive pieces and things like that, let's do recognize the couple of pitchers that 
we have out there because Elder and Strider have been really good at just kind of solidifying this rotation. And I keep saying that if they can find a fourth guy to just get them through, somebody that's a fourth guy that can just give them some consistently good starts, whether that's Michael Soroka or somebody else, one of the rookie or you know young guys or whatever like that, if they can just find that fourth starter, they can hang in there until Freed and Wright find their way back. And they'll find their way back eventually. They'll find their way back, whether it's late July, August, what have you. They'll find their way back for a stretch run. But if we just continue, and by the way, again, I said it the other day, this division's over. You, you look at you look at how bad the Mets and Phillies are. They ain't overtaking the Braves. The, 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 Mets, and, the, the Mets and Marlins were 7-3 and three over their last 10 games and they actually lost two games in the division. They were seven and three, and yet the Braves were nine and one over their last 10. And the Braves just keep on winning series. Braves just took, you know, again, beat the Minnesota Twins last night. Now they've won that series. They'll play at noon today, getaway day for the Twins. So, uh, again, <laughs> there's no reason to think that anybody's going to catch the Braves, but part of that has been as good as their offense has been They've needed Strider and Elder to come up because at times earlier in the year, their offense wasn't as dominant. But Strider's been terrific this year. His ERA is maybe a little bit higher than, than you'd like, but still 373 isn't disastrous. 13 homers. Again, he gave up six homers in his first three starts in June. He's given up one homer the last two starts. So he's cut that part of it down and gotten back to where He's not giving up hits. He's not walking guys, and he's not giving up the home run ball. So he had that little bump in the road for the first part of June, but he's corrected that over the last two starts with a 138 ERA and 19 strikeouts in 13 innings. And Elder, Elder's been consistently good all year long. Forget his record. I mean, again, 6-1 and one still isn't anything to you know slough off, but obviously some of that gets influenced by what, what you know the offense does and different things like that. But 96 innings, almost, almost, you know, through the halfway point, 100, you know, going to be on pace for 180, 190 innings, only eight homers that he's given up, a solid 79 strikeouts where he's averaging 7.4 strikeouts per nine innings. Let's recognize those guys because they've done some work as well. For all the good that their offense has done, they've done some work as well. All right, we remind you as you listen to Hitting Hard to go into whatever podcast platform that you're listening on and let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program, what I call them our everyday or so. We thank you so much for being a part of our show and of our community. So leave us a comment that you're an everyday listener to the program. No love for Pitts? Well, uh, Tyler Sullivan, who is a, I guess he's a football writer, fantasy football writer for CBS Sports. He's been going through and ranking all of his different positional groups or, you know, such. And um, he ranks the top 10 tight ends of 2023. Now, look, no surprise that, uh, again, a Travis Kelsey is sitting at number one. I think he deserves every bit of that. He's been the best tight end. He plays for the best team in, in um, the NFL. No problem there. George Kittle at number two. Got no problem with that. Plays for one of the other best teams in the NFL. Clutch player. Does everything. Uh, last year, I know another 11 touchdown season for him. Even on 765 yards and 60 catches, 11 of those went for touchdowns. 
you get 11 catches, uh, you know, you get 11 touchdowns and 60 catches, you're doing some work. Mark Andrews at three, got no problem with that. Um, Dallas Godare at four, okay, maybe. TJ Hawkinson at five, okay, we haven't heard our guy yet. Darren Waller at six, all right, didn't have a didn't have a great year last year, but again, he's been a 1,100-yard receiver over the last couple of years. Pratt, uh, Pat uh, Freermuth from the Steelers at number seven. Uh, okay, David Njoku at number eight. Okay, I haven't heard my guy yet. Dalton Schultz at nine. And coming in at number 10 on Tyler Sullivan's list is Kyle Pitts. Here's what he has to say about Pitts. Kyle Pitts was one of the more frustrating players to try and place on this list. From a talent standpoint, he's among the very best at the position and probably should be higher than 10. He was impressive as a rookie and put together a 1,000-yard season out of the gate. But Pitts has gone downhill since, so we'll settle on just sneaking him in here. He played 10 games last season before suffering a season-ending knee injury, but the games he did uh, take part in didn't leave much to get uh, excited about. Atlanta's offense did, didn't did feature him as a primary weapon, and he had just 28 receptions while averaging 35.6 yards per game. He also caught just 47%, 47.5% of his targets. Again, that may speak to the Falcons' approach last season offensively more than Pitt's ability. And they talk about Desmond Ritter and all this good kind of stuff. So is that fair? Here's the thing. Do I think Travis, or sorry, do I think that Kyle Pitts is the only the 10th best wide receiver in the NFL. No, I, I don't think, I think he's a much higher wide receiver. Do I put him over Travis Kelsey or George Kittle? Absolutely not. Maybe not even over Mark Andrews. His production has not been there. And and no matter what the reasons are, okay, whether it's bad quarterback play with Marcus Mariota or what have you, again, he's a guy that if nothing else, He's a guy that should be being used in the red zone to score touchdowns. Well, they double team him. You don't think people double team Travis Kelsey and everybody else? Yet Andy Reid always finds a way to scheme him wide open. Come on, folks. These excuses about, you know, well, they double team. Again, every top tier player, when they get down deep in the red zone, is getting double teamed. You don't think you don't you don't think teams look around and say let's see my notes you know oh Julio Jones uh, I don't know how much I don't, is he any good I don't know if he's any good or not maybe maybe we'll put two guys on him for whatever of course every team in the league does all this I think the Falcons are unique that they have their best pass catcher being double teamed I think that makes them a unique franchise in the NFL wow I I never thought to double team the uh, other team's best pass catcher down in the red zone. What a concept. I, we just learned that with Kyle Pitts. Come on, folks. Everybody gets double teamed down there. But it has been a very underwhelming first couple of years for Kyle Pitts. Yeah, the injuries have played a part in it. Yeah, his quarterback play has played a part in it. And that's why I'm willing to forget all of that and the fact that we didn't draft Micah Parsons and you know have a game record on defense for the next decade. A side note from what we talked about first. But again, it's been very underwhelming. So I'll I'll put all that aside to say that, okay, now with Desmond Ritter, now with all the offensive weapons, now with all the offensive personnel, now with our top-tier offensive line, this has to be a year 
where Pitts is healthy and he breaks out. And he that's and I how many times have I preached this about the idea of Kyle Pitts has got to be a hundred catch, <clears throat> fourteen hundred yard, dozen touchdown kind of player, or his influence isn't going to be that great. You think his influence has been much? You think his influence has been all that impactful? When when oh a thousand seventy six yards or whatever, great, that's great. We've been a twenty loss team the last two years. How much influence has he had? Come on, folks. You know, I like Kyle Pitts, but, you know, at some point, somebody's got to stand up here and say, wait a second, you know, what what exactly are we doing? Like, how are we not featuring this guy? You can't tell me somebody's a unicorn and then and then Michael Pruitt's going and catching twice as many touchdown passes as he is. Come on, folks. You know, again, we've got to have him influence the game. I think he deserves to be higher on the list, but he ain't no Travis Kelsey. Yeah, athletically and and talent-wise, he may be every bit or more than Travis Kelsey. But you know what matters? What's your production on the football field? What am I seeing every Sunday out of you? And again, I know injuries have played a part. Obviously, the quarterback has played a part. But again, this has to be the year that Kyle Pitts breaks out and has that big season. This has to be his Travis Kelsey year. Everything's falling in place for this to be a big year for Kyle Pitts. Let's hope all of that happens, you know, and let's hope that we see the best and we see that unicorn that we drafted at number four. I have my doubts and reservations, as always, because guess what? I'm the only one who questions things around here. I don't blind loyal fandom to everything. I question things about why are we not good? Why why are we not winning more? We'll see what happens. But obviously, Pitts needs to be on track for a big year. But I definitely think he deserves to be higher up on Tyler Sullivan's list. All right, well, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard your first listen. Make sure you go into whatever podcast platform that you're listening on and let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. When I call them our everydayer. So we thank you so much for being a part of our community and being on this journey and this ride with us here over, you know, since April of last year, you can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast, get the latest episodes of hitting hard as soon as they become available. Also check us out on the Sirius XM app as well. And follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH three one six back with you tomorrow. This has been hitting hard with John Chuckery locked on sports Atlanta. 